important to think about um, antitrust in a broader lens than just consumer prices. Antitrust used to be very much focused on diversity of voice. The Comcast merger showed that those kinds of issues are still on regulators' minds. Hello, you are listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. By now, you know that the proposed Comcast-Time Warner merger will not be happening. In this episode of the podcast, Chris talks with Sally Hubbard and Teddy Downey. She's a senior correspondent for the Capital Forum, and he's the executive editor and the CEO. The Forum has analyzed the potential merger in depth. Sally and Teddy share why they had doubts about the success of the deal. They also provide insight into the scrutiny this type of transaction must face at the federal level. They also share tips on how state and local government can make a difference in dealing with ISPs when antitrust is a potential problem. For more detailed info on antitrust, telecom, and consumer protection, we recommend you check out CapitalForum.com. And that's capital with an O. Now here are Chris, Sally, and Teddy. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm talking with Teddy Downey, the executive editor and CEO of the Capital Forum, and a senior correspondent from Capital Forum, Sally Hubbard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled to talk more about antitrust and anti-monopoly, which is, uh, as I understand it, your specialty. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit first about uh, the Capital Forum? Um, I, I actually was not very familiar with it uh, until um, Barry Lynn introduced me to it. The Capital Forum is an investigative news and uh, legal analysis journalism-focused company, and uh, we produce a regular newsletter for our subscribers uh, going in-depth and in the weeds on uh, competition policy issues most recently when it comes to communications mergers, the Comptime Warner Cable merger, which most hot to- hottest topic right now. Yes, and, uh, and Sally, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? You're writing now about these issues, but it seems like you've been involved with them for a while. Right, yes. I used to be an antitrust enforcer at the New York Attorney General's office. So uh, for three administrations there, I was uh, investigating uh, antitrust violations and looking at mergers and, uh, you know, conducting the kind of analysis that the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission do when they're looking at mergers. So now when I'm writing about them, I get to kind of put on that hat and it helps me uh, understand what they're likely thinking as well. We're talking now just a few days after the Comcast merger has been canceled. And uh, I guess what I'd like to start with is, why should we care how big Comcast gets, or, or any cable company for that matter? Well, well, this merger in particular involved the most critical infrastructure of, of the U.S. economy, right? Broadband. You know, um, that, the stakes were very, very high, and certainly something um, like this Comcast merger was going to create a pretty durable market power. I mean, even though we are seeing more competition up in, up in broadband, it does have very high entry barriers. So I think it's important to be concerned about any one company that could control more than half of this critical infrastructure, particularly in the Comcast-Time Warner cable merger. Comcast had a lot of incentives um, that could really be uh, harmful for competition and innovation. And I, I, I just uh, also add that the one of the really important markets that 
the DOJ and the FCC wanted to protect is the burgeoning over-the-top market, um, which is the the applications like uh, Netflix and uh, you've seen a recent offering from Sony to provide customers who want to cut the cord and not have a cable subscription but do want to watch content, that that market was going to be competitive and that those all those companies that are up and coming and providing that uh, service and that application would be able to compete on a level playing field with Comcast and its NBC Universal content as well as whatever applications Comcast comes out with. So protecting and preserving competition in a new market was also really important. I do think it's interesting. Some public interest folks have noted that that the deal, some of the technologies you just mentioned, the um, the sling of, uh, offering from Dish, a lot of things. These things came about after Comcast was in the middle of its merger review and could not engage in some of the perhaps dirty practices that it has in the past to use its market power. Um, but I'm just I'm curious if you can tell us what sort of things might a very large and powerful company like Comcast do to make sure that it can control markets in the future. Well, certainly with the markets that Teddy is talking about in terms of online uh, innovation and over-the-top programming, uh, by controlling the broadband pipes, Comcast even after even after Title II uh, came down, Comcast still has the power to. Would have, would have had the power to uh, utilize tools like usage-based pricing, data caps, interconnection fees, uh, as ways to basically raise the effective price of other online video competitors. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more uh, other tools that, you know, the Title II, um, uh, you know, of redefining, uh, reclassifying broadband is, are aimed at preventing, but certainly uh, interconnection data caps and usage-based pricing was still left to be determined on a case-by-case basis, which is really not that comforting uh, for competitors knowing that they're beholden to Comcast uh, moving forward. Comcast controls the pipe uh, that the data goes over, and so um, there are myriad ways in which they could prefer their own content or charge other competitors in a way that would favor Comcast uh, in the long run, either to have all the other content go through its application um, or to uh, make sure that its content was favored in terms of either speed or or not counting against a data cap if there were to institute data caps. But really the, the DOJ's view and the FCC's view is to preserve competition and to not necessarily try to get in the weeds of precisely how Comcast could uh, could favor its own uh, content or applications, but just to make sure that there would be a competitive uh, playing field in the future. So I think in a in a second we're going to get away from just the sort of Comcast specific arguments, but I want to ask first if um, and I'm not sure which one of you would like to answer, but um, what role did the consumer hatred and just anger about Comcast's customer service play? in terms of making this merger less likely. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of comments that that if Comcast hadn't alienated so many of its own customers, that this probably wouldn't have been as toxic a merger to uh, to people in Washington, D.C. 
I mean, I think that definitely played a role. Um, I don't think it was critical to the antitrust analysis, and even without, even without that kind of consumer hatred, <laughs> you would still have a lot of potential anti-competitive harms to be really worried about as an antitrust enforcer. Um, in terms of the political atmospherics, definitely um, did apply more pressure, I think, to the regulators to be aggressive. Um, and I don't think it was just the consumer, uh, the, the poor customer service, but it was also kind of some of the past anti-competitive practices, kind of issues with past compliance with merger conditions that also kind of contributed to that, those negative atmospherics that would make it politically easier to um, be aggressive uh, against the merger. I would just add that the FCC receives a lot more feedback is a lot more open process uh, and uh, is much more subject to political influence and and pressure during their review because they meet with a lot of lobbyists and because they're uh, political appointees. And certainly, if there's a huge amount of public backlash, that makes it easier for the FCC and the DOJ to, to make a uh, an enforcement decision, and and that we certainly saw the case here. It wasn't just the public uh, reaction and the public's uh, disfavor of the customer service of the companies, but but really a lot of interest groups that that really pushed pretty hard to to block this merger. Either the con- both the content industry interest groups, the public interest groups, and then you also saw, saw um, the Latin community interest interest groups as well push back pretty hard. So that create that makes it easier for the regulators. So I'm curious to what extent a charter Time Warner cable merger might encounter the same problems. I mean, with Comcast, we had a number number one combining with a number two. And if we have smaller cable companies combining, you know, from, from my perspective, it's a loss of competition. Um, I'm curious um, how it is when you look at it more rigorously through the eyes of the law. So um, I do agree that a charter Time Warner cable tie-up could uh, hinder competition in some ways, most likely by increasing the regional clustering of the cable systems, and it could also raise concerns regarding um, some a few regional regional sports networks um, that Charter can, and Time Warner Cable would jointly control. However, um, because Charter has a much smaller video and broadband footprint than Comcast does. And because Charter doesn't have uh, extensive content holdings like like uh, Comcast does, um, I, it, I, we expect it to raise uh, much less concerns amongst the uh, the antitrust regulators. It's actually kind of interesting because that suggests that it was the previous merger with NBC that may have hurt Comcast's ability to merge then with uh, Time Warner Cable. Um, which would be, I think, for those of us who oppose that merger, you know, a little bit of uh, um, makes us feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I definitely think that merger made created a lot of the um, negative incentives that Comcast would have to favor its own content over rival content um, to use its, its broadband market power in a way that favors the NBC Universal um, products over other other competitors. So that definitely. Uh, added to the concerns that regulators had. 
one of the things that, that's been coming up is some people have noted we have this AT&T DirecTV merger, which raises uh, some a number of the same issues for public interest groups like myself. And, um, and I'm not quite sure how that impacts or what it looks like to the regulators. You know, from your earlier comments, Sally, I think it's was, it was important to pull out that regulators have a, a very specific set of criteria upon which they can evaluate whether or not these mergers are permissible. And, and they're not supposed to be swayed by public opinion so much I mean, when, we're, when we're talking about the folks inside the DOJ and that sort of thing. Um, right. Department of Justice, just to make sure we have covered that at least once. Um, are we seeing a new era of, of anti-monopoly type activity in D.C.? Or are these just mergers that AT&T, T-Mobile, Comcast, Time Warner Cable, they were just over the top? I do think they were over-the-top mergers, um, and I think that was there was kind of a, a period of weak NHS enforcement that has really emboldened companies to to try and just go for it with mergers that people wouldn't have considered uh, even trying before. Um, you know, I think it remains to be seen whether it's a new era. I mean, one thing that I think was important important takeaway from the Comcast Time Warner Cable merger is that they're really going to look at what are the competitive effects of the merger first? And that's really the focus of their investigation is how will this harm competition? And it's not the kind of robotic exercise of, oh, what's the product market? You know, this whole, the whole argument that uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable said over and over again, we don't compete because we don't geographically overlap. You know, they said that over and over again, and it just isn't as simple as that. It's not uh, the regulators, the antitrust agencies are really going to be understanding how could competition be harmed and they're not going to just engage in that kind of, uh, you know, superficial exercise. I, I, I would also say that, you know, I'd agree with Sally that these are, these mergers really were pushing the envelope. Uh, but, and as Sally pointed out, the Antitrust community, which consists of lawyers and, and policymakers in D.C., was widely predicting that this murder would get through because there was no direct horizontal overlap. And you know, for the past 30, 35 years, that has been one of the primary ways in which the antitrust uh, enforcers look at uh, harm and look at whether or not they're going to uh, litigate a murder. And... Comcast, really importantly, is it, it, even though it was a very aggressive envelope-pushing merger, does represent a shift in that thinking, even if it is a, a, a slight shift. And the interesting thing to watch going forward is going to be, will DOJ and will potentially the FTC and the FCC, will they look at these industries in the media and look to protect those burgeoning uh, markets like the over-the-top market. And so you can think about how litigating or threatening to litigate the Comcast murder, Comcast Time Warner Cable murder, protected that over-the-top market. That's good for providers of television and movie content that's going to be delivered over broadband. And will the regulators start to think about creative industries differently and protecting those creative industries from their distributors. Um, so a couple of things I would add are that the DOJ recently uh, litigated against a merger between National Cinemedia 
and, and Screen Vision, which are the advertisers, advertisers on movie theaters, the companies that do advertising on movie theaters. And there's also a DOJ investigation into the movie distribution companies, uh, the large theater chains. And so is this the beginning of a shift in how the DOJ thinks about distributors of, of important content? Uh, and we'll see how, how this plays out, but it could be the start of a much bigger shift in enforcement. Yeah, I hope so. One of the things that I often think about is, uh, you know, Time Warner Cable and Comcast, they may not compete head to head. But if you're a TiVo, for instance, which makes a far superior um, set-top box product, um, you've basically been screwed by both of them. <laughs> and right. and I just think about how much people love their TiVos and how even though you know they sort of operate off to the side, their entire business, I'm thrilled they've been able to hang on. But they clearly were incredibly innovative and they were basically crushed by these, uh, these big cable companies. The set-top box market is definitely another area to watch, and I know that there's a task force um, looking to rewrite the regulations regarding set-top boxes after the whole cable card um, initiative was pretty much a failure. Um, And that is another area where you could see the same concerns that the regulators have had regarding uh, gatekeeper power over broadband. Uh, Like, for instance, if Comcast were to have purchased Time Warner Cable, and it could have expand, expanded the footprint of its uh, X1 Xfinity set-top box. That uh, that would be another way to basically um, be a gatekeeper in terms of who gets a spot on that set-top box. I know Netflix was trying to get a spot on the set-top box so that Comcast uh, subscribers could easily switch to Netflix, uh, you know, more easily between the channels and Netflix than the current setup. So the set-top box market is basically another way that they can be a gatekeeper. And um, I do think that we're going to see the FCC trying to promote competition uh, in the set-top box market as well because you're going to have a lot of the same issues as you have with net neutrality, and it can in some ways be an end run around some of the net neutrality restrictions. Like you saw uh, when Comcast... Uh, was forbidden under the NBCU merger conditions to um, exempt its own content from data caps. It kind of went around that and, and exempted its Xfinity One set-top box content from data caps, uh, which didn't technically violate the letter of the NBC Universal conditions, but it certainly violated the, the spirit of those conditions and was proof of how it's very difficult to anticipate every possible conduct that a company could do to accomplish the ends that you're trying to prevent through merger conditions. One of the things I wanted to make sure we covered before we run out of time is uh, what states can do. Uh, a lot of this focus has been on the uh, the antitrust, anti-monopoly policy coming out of Washington, D.C., um, but I know a lot of the communities that have built their own networks and have gone up against these companies, they've faced predatory pricing, um, in, in some cases quite blatantly, and, and it hasn't been clear where they could go for a remedy. Um, you know, what, what powers do states have to try and deal with, with the market power abuses of these big cable companies? So the states have two different main bodies that could um, be working to preserve competition. There's the state's attorney generals attorneys general um, and the antitrust uh, bureaus and at those uh, state AG's office, offices. And then there is also the, um, you know, the state regulatory commissions, like we saw the California Public Utilities Commission potentially causing problems for the Comcast Time Warner Cable merger. There's the, the state public uh, 
service commissions. So both of those two entities um, can help promote competition in different ways. Um, the, the state AGs can bring actions to you know, prevent anti-competitive mergers and also to uh, prevent anti-competitive conduct or to come after anti-competitive conduct. And the regulatory um, boards can enact regulations of, of course, getting rid of some of these um, barriers that have been put up at the state and local level for broadband competition and local competition. Um, predatory pricing um, is a very difficult case for the state AGs to bring. Unfortunately, the law has developed in a very negative way in that area um, so that it's very hard for the uh, to win on a predatory pricing case, unfortunately. That's definitely something that needs to be reevaluated um, in order to really promote competition in the long run. And so, as we're as we're clearing out, are there any any final thoughts or key points that that you'd want to make sure that we we hit or just reiterated in terms of antitrust, anti-monopoly issues? My big takeaway is that I think it, from the Comcast Time Warner cable merger was it's important to think about um, antitrust in a broader lens than just consumer prices. And I think everyone uh, was so convinced that the merger was going to go through. I will say that we, from the beginning, thought the merger was going to have lots of potential problems, and that was because we weren't singularly focused on consumer prices going up, but we were looking at how it could affect competition and innovation with other content providers and, and online innovators. And I think antitrust used to be very much focused on diversity of voice, especially with media mergers being focused on uh, how uh, you could lose the, the marketplace of ideas by allowing the con- consolidation. And I think the Comcast merger showed that those kinds of issues are still on regulators' minds, even though what we mostly hear about is will a merger affect consumer pricing as the primary concern. There, I would add one one other issue that I think will be a source of debate going forward, uh, which is that this merger fa- falling through doesn't actually resolve one of the issues that consumers are so concerned with, which is that a lot of consumers only have one choice when it comes to their broadband provider. And so FCC Chairman Wheeler has really established uh, a pro-competition legacy uh, during his time at the FCC, both with taking an aggressive stance on net neutrality and also stepping in to, uh, to stop the Comcast Time Warner Cable merger They've taken a very small preliminary step to encourage competition in broadband markets by uh, overruling state laws that limit the potential for competition at at the municipal broadband level. So whether or not the FCC and Chairman Wheeler will continue on this pro competition bent and try to uh, facilitate competition, not just in the over-the-top market, but also in the actual broadband market. How they'll think about that and whether or not they'll be creative, um, it's probably more likely that they'll spend their time focusing on protecting uh, the net neutrality rule in court. But it will be interesting to see if uh, Chairman Wheeler decides to push the envelope and and see if he can't uh, figure out how to promote more competition at the broadband level. It certainly seems to be uh, his most animating principle 
Um, and, and we've been thrilled to see the results so far. Um, let me encourage uh, listeners to check out Capital Forum, and I'll just say it's capital like the U.S. capital, not like uh, Wall Street capital. And um, that means there's an O rather than an A. So thank you both for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was great. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thanks again to Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Music